to the Teacher Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Suasso, and today I'm joined by a very good friend. Um, we've known each other since freshman year of college. So that's going back about seven years. We've lived together for two, three years uh, at least. I'm joined by Arthur Marrer. Arthur, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Justin. appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. Arthur has a really uh, interesting story to tell. He uh, grew up in Brazil, spent the first 19 years there, and then decided to make the uh, trip over to America to pursue um, a higher education. So we definitely want to get into that story. And then also we, we want to talk a little bit about um, pursuing career opportunities as you are graduating college, because Arthur came in thinking he wanted to do something, and then he ended up as a um, in the basketball world. So that will definitely be an interesting story to explore. But let's start with uh, education in Brazil. Arthur, can you walk us through what uh, primary education is like in your experience in it in Brazil? Yeah, absolutely. So in Brazil, it's similar to here. You have both private and public schools. But unlike the U.S., the private school system is a lot better. There's a huge disparity from the public system. And did you go to did you go to private or did you go to public? I went to private my whole life. It, it Honestly, in Brazil, if you go to a public school, it's going to be really hard to, to get a college or... Like to make it out at all? Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. absolutely. Because the, the education system is not good. The professors go on strikes all the time. <laughs> well, I think that's going on in like Arizona <laughs> right now. So it's basically like that in the U.S. now. But um, that, that's interesting because private schools, I mean, you re- hear a really mixed review. Both my parents are, are public school teachers. So I've grown up in a public system my whole life. So I think I've been kind of exposed to like the positive sides of a public school, even though the public high school I went to was a really big one. But there are really nice private schools. But that's interesting in Brazil. So basically, if you're a public, if you're in a public school, the chances of you making it out are, are pretty are pretty low. Right, you gotta work ten times harder. Okay, God, that that's crazy. So in so, what does a normal day of school look like in Brazil? Like, kind of when you, I mean, do they break it? Let me rephrase the question: Do they break it up from kindergarten to sixth grade like they do in America, or is it broken up different as you're going up through the grades? No, it's broken up different. We have kindergarten, and then when you get to first grade, kind of you split from first to fourth, and then fifth mm-hmm. until ninth grade. Uh huh. And uh, so in Brazil, you have the option of they have both classes in the morning and the afternoon up to eighth grade. So you can choose if you want to go the morning sessions from like 7 a.m. to 11.35 and then the afternoon sessions from 1 to 5.35. And most of the students choose to go in the afternoon because at that age, most of the extracurricular activities are in the morning. Oh, that's so interesting yeah. because in America, it seems like it's flipped. I mean, we essentially go to school from 8 to 2, 30, 8 to 2, 8 to two thirty, and then we right. have the extracurriculars, extracurriculars in the afternoon. So you get to make that choice as a kid, whether which like which like whether you want to do the 7 to 11.30 or the 1 to 5.30? Right, absolutely. I don't know how much of the choice the kid makes, but the parents can. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So well, what did you do? What was I your always, choice? So I come from a single-parent household. Uh, my parents are divorced. So I was raised by my dad. And he used to go to work early. So for mm-hmm. me, going to school in the morning made more sense. Okay. Because he could just drop me off on his way to work. And then at lunchtime, my grandma would pick me up and take me home. Uh-huh. And then would you do the extracurriculars in the afternoon? Yeah. So the they didn't have as, as many extracurricular activities in the afternoon. They were mostly in the morning or at night. So that afternoon students could do both. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff I did, all the sports and English classes and all that, were at night. Oh, okay. Usually after six or seven p.m. Interesting. Were you coming from that basketball background, right? At, like at a young age, or was it were they different sports? 
Uh, my first sport was soccer, which is probably not very surprising coming from Brazil. <laughs> sure, sure. But I wasn't very good, so they gave me a goalie. <laughs> oh, there you go. And back then, I didn't really realize that he man, I was so bad that they just put me there because that's the uh-huh. only position I could play. But no, I've seen your indoor soccer skills. I think we got in at it <laughs> at Sonoma um, once or twice. So, so that's interesting. So you go, so you're in a private school your whole time um, in your primary education, and then as you continue your education up through high school. Did that private school, did you continue going to a private school? Yeah, so it's, uh, this is another difference. I went to the same school my whole life. Okay, so kindergarten all the way up to... All the way to senior year of high school, yeah. To senior year of high school. So in Brazil, it's really common. You, you know, each school has all grades from kindergarten to high school. They, there are some schools that are more specialized. They only have high school. They only have kindergarten. Uh-huh. But my school is one of the biggest ones in my city and in the state. So they had all grades, and I went there since... I was like seven, six or seven years old. Okay, that's interesting. And we were we were talking before the podcast, and I know you said that high school only is it's only three years in Brazil, right? Only three. Wow. So, yeah. it and how are the classes set up? Because how high school in America is um, set up is you're going through you're rotating, and this is just um, for most high schools in America. You're rotating through like four or five classes um, in high school, but basically you're taking English, you're taking math, you, you have an elective, you're taking science, and you're taking like a history class. And those are kind of like your core classes, and maybe you have like a sixth one tagged on. Um, do you have those like four or five, do you have those core classes in Brazil? So that part is completely different. We take the same classes all three years of high school. So I usually take I think the first two years are eight classes, and then it gets up to ten in your senior year. And it's not based on semesters. It's a year-round class. Uh-huh. So for all three years of high school, we have language is Portuguese, and then usually have a second language. And then you can choose uh-huh. between English or Spanish. Mm-hmm. Well, so I think those are the two, only two that our high school offered. Then you take math, chemistry, physics, biology. So is there any flexibility in terms of like your choice no. of the classes? Only on the language, like English or Spanish, that's it. Okay, so everything's pretty predetermined. Right, you don't make your schedule. Uh, so you have the same classmates for every single class. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, that could go either way, right? You know, if you, right. if you got and, some good buddies, then that'd be great. But if you got some people that bug right. the crap out of you. <laughs> so you pretty much go to school, to high school, with the same people for three years. <laughs> That's so crazy to me because the high school I went to was there's 2,500 kids total. So we had like 700 kids in a. Um, per like a grade level and our classes were made up of I mean we'd have 30 35 kids in but our schedule would be constantly changing every semester so you'd get kind of a a new take of kids and we also had advanced placement classes that you could sign up for so it would be um, you know if you kind of wanted to work your way out of like that public system kind of stereotype you would sign up for the advanced placement and honors classes um, which is something I did for at least at least part of my classes, but we definitely did get a switch, so we weren't with the same kids. Um, and then can you talk a little bit about your senior year and what it's like um, going, making that jump from senior year in high school um, in, in Brazil to um, college in Brazil? Right. So senior year of high school, high school in general in Brazil, their only focus is to send kids to college. Mm-hmm. So since you're freshman year, you're taking pretty high-level math physics all of that and stuff. also worth noting this is at your private high school right, right so we school. don't we don't know what it's like in a public, yeah. in a public. <laughs> <laughs> i used to I, for a period of time i taught in a public class i did a i had a basketball class you know my senior high school i did that 
it's pretty fun, but it was uh-huh. a chaos. But the public it, was? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've seen some pretty interesting stuff. <laughs> I'm sure you have. <laughs> but uh, so my senior year, uh, you have class in the mornings, and then two times a week you have class in the afternoon as well. So for two days of the week, you're in school from 7 in the morning until 5.30 p.m. And just to pre- because in Brazil, in order to get a college, you have to take a test. It's kind of similar to the SAT, I okay. guess. Yeah. But it's really, really hard. Uh huh. And depending, I guess it works in a similar way because depending on the grade again of the test, it can get certain universities. So uh-huh. the higher the score you get, the better the schools you can apply for. Right, and there are, there are similarities between that and um, college in America. But uh, how much to kind of put you on the spot? How much weight is put on your um, GPA or your high school grades? Honestly, well, your high school grades don't matter that much. Oh, okay. So this is all this is all kind of centered around the test, right? Getting so to college. Your senior year of high school, you're preparing for that test, and then halfway through the year, uh, they break you down. So that's the only time you split from your classmates that you had the past three years. Uh huh. They break uh-huh. you down. They separate you guys depending on the area you want to go to college, you want to study. So if you want to do something related, let's say computer science, engineering, all those degrees that require math and numbers uh-huh. and statistics that kind of stuff they put you in different classes and then if you want to be a doctor you want to do biology they put you in a different one and then if you want to be a teacher you want to do history geography it's a, it's a third one so they have three different groups that they split the students to and then they focus the classes for that area uh-huh. because the the best the best college in our city in our state it's public Mm-hmm. And once you pass that test, that is like the SAT, you got to take a second round of tests, but that's only applied to your area that you're going to study. Is it a pass or fail thing, or is it just like a cumulative overall no, like, score? No, so it's a cumulative overall okay. score, score, and then the highest grades get in. Sure, but you have an idea once you get that score whether right. you're kind of in the track right, that yeah. gets it. Geez, that, I so, mean, I have so much, I have a lot of mixed feelings about that because I, I know some students who just don't test well, but they kind of ha- but they have the study habits to uh, work their way out of it. So it's interesting and it just sounds like things are set up completely different because here in America, um, and SATs are certainly weighed, but also GPA is weighed pretty heavily too. So they, they really look at a mixture of both those. And then we also, there's also, if you're applying to like a, um, a UC school, you write in like a personal statement on why you deserve to kind of be there. So it's kind of like a trio of those things. But in Brazil, it sounds like it's very just centered on that one test. It's only the test. And then if you do well in the, kind of like the SAT, and then you t- go to the second round, and let's say I want to do computer science, then I'm only going to get tested in, in math, physics, and I think they might be only those two. Wow. And it's all open-end questions. There's no multiple choice, and it's usually pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I did it. I, I already knew I was going to the U.S. I didn't study mm-hmm. for it, but yeah. I think I got like 34 on the math test out of 100. <laughs> out of 100? Uh-huh. And the physics, I got like 15. Right. It's pretty hard. <laughs> and we'll also get into this, but Arthur's, Arthur's, uh, Arthur's a smart guy. He, he came in as a computer science major and, and did it for a couple of years. So it's definitely no joke. But it, it sounds like that you're kind of choosing your career path at, at a really young age, even a younger age than we do here in America as you're catering towards these tests on like where you're going to go to college. Would you say that's that's accurate? Yeah, absolutely. The, you pretty much got to have it figured out by your, by half of your senior year when they split you in, into groups. You mm-hmm. got to figure out which one to do. And at that point, you're like 18, 
18, 18 yeah, years old. 17, 18 maybe. Yeah. Talk, about some, 17. talk about some big decisions, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, no kidding. Well, um, so can, can you talk a little bit about why maybe that process didn't necessarily appeal to you? And what about what about going to college in America did? Well, I like the system here. And first of all, in Brazil, when you get to the, your senior high school, you got to choose if you want to do something related to sports or if you want to go to school because you can't do both. You can't play and go to school. We don't have like the NCAA or the mm-hmm. NAIA, so you got to make that choice. Either you become a professional athlete or you go to right. college. And at this point, you were playing pretty serious club basketball in Brazil. Right, right. At that age, it's probably my prime basketball-wise. I played at a pretty high level. I mean, two of my teammates are in the NBA right now. So. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'd say pretty high, uh, a pretty high level. Can we get the names? Uh, yeah, uh, Raul Nato plays for the Jazz is the point guard and uh, Cristiano Felicio with the Bulls. There you go. Felicio got a big contract yeah. left offseason. Neto got some playoff minutes, so they're, they're doing stuff. Mil. Yeah. So these are your teammates. So are you, was that was that a decision process that you had to go through, or at that point were you like, there's no way I'm making it to the NBA? Yeah, I just uh, – I've always been really – I think I've been pretty realistic of how good I or how good I was in that basketball. So I I knew that I thought that maybe I could play at a D two or D three, mm-hmm. but I knew I wasn't gonna be a professional player. But I want to drag my basketball career a little longer. So coming to the U S. And, and my end goal is always working basketball, either as a player, as a coach, or my dream is to be an NBA general manager. So it just mm-hmm. made sense to come here, right, and be involved one way or another, right, whether right. whether you're playing or coaching. Um, so so can we hear how in the heck a guy from Brazil ended up at Sonoma State, this like tiny kind of place in this tiny college, liberal arts college in Northern California? How did you even hear about Sonoma State? Right. So what not many people know is first I went to I took English course at Barry University in Florida mm-hmm. in the summer of my senior year. And I hated Barry. Uh, I was actually thinking about going to school there, but after the two months I spent there, the three months, whatever summer was, I absolutely hated it. And uh, I really wanted to go to California because in different countries you have this idea that California is just a, a paradise. <laughs> sunny, the beach, and people are rich, good looking, always happy. So I started looking at some schools in California. Some of that's true. At least it's sunny in California, right? Well, now you're in San Francisco. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not all the way through. No. <laughs> the Rotter Park was kind of cold sometimes, too. True, true. Yeah. The stomach could get cold. But, yeah. And then uh, I started looking at schools, and they were all really expensive. So I figured out I'll have to go to state school. Mm-hmm. And Sonoma State was in a nice area. And, uh, I really liked the campus, what I saw from pictures, and their basketball team. I wasn't very good at the time, so I <laughs> which played maybe, up to you. Maybe I'll have a chance. Sure. <laughs> to play. Right. So your plan coming in was that you're gonna you're gonna try to make the basketball team and kind of do what you can with that. And you also came in as a com- as a computer science major. Yeah. So that was the deal with my dad. Uh, he he's a pretty smart guy. He thought computer science was gonna be the profession of the future, which is kind of right on that. I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. Two thousand seven, two thousand eighteen. It looks pretty good right now. Yeah. So I. I came as a computer science major and made that deal with him. And I always liked playing games, and mm-hmm. I was always very tech savvy, so it mm-hmm. made sense at the time. Right. But was the driving just to probe a little further? What was the driving force behind you coming to the U.S. to get a better education or to pursue this um, dream of basketball? And I know that might be a, might be a tough question, and maybe it's a combination of both. But can you talk a little bit about how those two factors kind of played in your mind? Yeah. So I got a tell that it was a combination of both because it makes sense you know tell kids to go to school and do all of that but it was definitely 
because of basketball. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you felt just like you weren't have, there weren't the same opportunities available no, in Brazil. Yeah, there's no way. Brazil is – the sport Sports doesn't get enough support there if it's not soccer or uh-huh. basketball is awful, especially when I left. It's getting bigger now, but right. back then it was in a pretty bad shape. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. So, so you come to you come to Sonoma State your freshman year. You're are you, are you 19 at the time? Or, yeah, I was 19. Yeah. yeah, you're 19 at the time. You're you your English is your your English was fine. I remember the first time we talked. I mean, there there's the accent there, but at least on the outside it sounded fine. Um. So your yeah your English is 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 there. Um. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like in your first year at Sonoma State? Yeah. So I struggle a little bit at the classes. My first semester is pretty hard. I, I took the English placement test and the math placement test, and I got a really good score, so I think my advisor thought I was smarter <laughs> than I was. Uh-huh. So she signed me up for classes in my first semester of college coming from a different country. I was taking Calculus 1, oh Econ, yeah. was this te- Was this test, like English test, pencil, paper test? or? Yeah, it was. So they had different sections. There was a multiple choice section and an essay. They had to write at the end. But the fact that it's pencil and paper, I feel like, is so misleading because there's a huge difference between you getting to sit down and, like, read and kind of think about and process and you being in, like, an auditorium with, like, 80 other kids as, like, your calculus teachers, you know, rambling on about, like, mathematics. Like, I feel right. like that's just a completely different experience. Right. And then uh, I remember I came in late uh, for that class because we, we registered a little late. So there was one or two weeks before the test. And the first question, I still remember this date. Nika, our friend's going to remember that too. But they asked me to find a slope. Find the slope? And I know what it was in Portuguese, but I, I've never heard that word before. Uh-huh. So I was looking at tests. I was like, I, I don't know what that is. Right, right. <laughs> so I bummed that test pretty bad. Uh-huh. Um, so there was a little bit of an adjustment period with academics, but did you eventually kind of find your niche or was it – I mean, were you kind of struggling throughout that first first year? Uh, no, throughout my first year, I struggled pretty bad. I think I finished the year for like a 2.02 GPA. Uh-huh. So almost, oh, there you go. You're making it. I was it. almost an academic probation there. <laughs> yeah. Were you taking any computer science or were they? Yeah, I took programming one, which actually was probably my best class at that time. Uh-huh. And then econ, calculus, English, 101, and, and uh, I think philosophy or something like that. Okay. I was taking 18 units. Yeah, that, that's that's a lot yeah. for that's a lot for anyone, especially like philosophy, as right. you're kind of like adjusting to English. Right. That's kind of mind uh, mind blowing. So, so that's what's going on in your in your academic um, your academic life. And and what about the basketball? Can we hear how the basketball um, how the basketball worked out your freshman year with yeah. the Sonoma State program? Right, absolutely. So I had this big dream of playing here, uh, and then when I first got here, I couldn't move into the dorms until closer to the date school started. But I got to Rogers Park two three weeks before. So I look at the hotels near, I don't even remember the name of the park anymore, but I saw there was a basketball court and people played there. So I decided to stay at the hotel closest to that one. Oh, nice. I love the reasoning. Which was a Motel 6. It was very interesting. Oh, shout out Motel 6. <laughs> For anyone who knows Roner Park, like right off, uh, I think it's like right near Expressway. Right yeah, off Expressway. it's off Commerce. Off Commerce. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Uh, so, so you're staying at Motel 6 and did you, and how was that first experience playing ball? In, it was in really fun. It, it was really good. The competition wasn't that great, but it, just being in the United States and playing at a park and it was just like a, a dream come true. Mm-hmm. And then the first thing I did when I got to Sonoma State was go to the head coach's office and tell him I wanted to try out. And that didn't work out very well. <laughs> no? <laughs> no, the, the team that year was really good and I just didn't know what to expect, and I don't. I wasn't good enough, so the they were pretty honest. They 
they said I wasn't good enough to play, but like I said, I came here to be involved in the basketball in one, one way or another. Mm-hmm. So I asked Coach Fiscal and Coach Rich if I could be involved in any way. So they made me into a manager for the, the first three years. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. I love that resiliency because I'm sure that that's, I mean, that's such a tough experience. You're coming from another country. Um, you know, you're, you're acclimating. You kind of were hoping that you could play ball and that's not working out, but you take that manager role. Um, you do that for, you said three years at, at Sonoma State for the men's program. Yeah, I was a, I was a them in a total of five years, but my first three as a manager. Okay. And what were some of the responsibilities you had as a, as a uh, manager? As a manager, you do whatever they want you to do, whatever <laughs> they need from like Whatever Mop, fun jobs. Yeah, mopping the floor, cleaning <laughs> the balls, poking up the balls. You're not giving press releases or press conferences? No, carrying the water. Uh-huh. And, you know, running the clock, filming practice. Yeah. Being a dummy and for a drill and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, hitting people with the pad. I was good at that one. <laughs> well, that, that sounds that sounds fun. Yeah. So that's your that's your role for the first three years at at the men's program. And can right. you talk about how your role changed come your uh, senior year and your and your fifth year? Right. Yeah. I think they uh, they like having me around, and I put a lot of time into the program. I enjoyed being a part of it, even if I wasn't playing. So for my last two years, they kind of promoted me, I guess, mm-hmm. to a student assistant coach position. And at Division Two is a little different from a D one program because you don't have as much money or as much support. So I remember my last year, my fifth year at Sonoma, the coaching staff was Coach Fiscala, the head coach, Rich, the associate head coach, and me. That's it. No managers, no other assistants. Nothing. No, that's crazy. So, and then, uh, and I was still in college because it took me five years to graduate because I changed majors halfway through. But uh, my senior year, I was going to school full time and pretty much doing all the operations for college basketball team all the travel coaching and practice it was pretty fun <laughs> fun fun's one way to describe it i mean i knew arthur pretty well and we were we were pretty close friends throughout college and like and i just want to emphasize to any listeners out there that the time commitment that was asked is i mean it's insane for a person who's taking a college load I and mean, we're talking about hours and hours and hours um of practice and that's not even i think where a lot of the real work comes in because a lot of the real work's doing the film and doing all the small stuff i'm sure there's a million things that go on in basketball like right with helping running a basketball program that people don't even realize. Yeah, no, doing this counter reports that year. I remember my last year, Rich, let me do my first counter report. It just takes hours to prepare for one game. Uh-huh. And then, and then on top of that, you got to study, you got to keep up with your grades. And it, uh-huh. was, it was a pretty busy year for sure. It was like having a full-time job and going to school full-time. Uh-huh. Was it something, though, that you always – that, like, as you're going through all this and as you're putting in the work that you knew you wanted to continue to pursue, was there ever any any doubt? So up to my third year, there was. You know, I didn't know if I was enjoying it just because I like to be around the game. I wasn't – and at the time, I was a computing science major too. So I, I wasn't really sure if I just like basketball as a hobby mm-hmm. or if I wanted to make that my career. But – once I got promoted to student assistant, I got to do more of the fun stuff, I guess. The, the coaching, <laughs> Lots of the mopping the, floors. <laughs> yeah, the coaching, the scouting, and all that stuff. I That's the point where I kind of realized uh, that's what I want to do as a career. And then uh, I also changed my major because of sure. that. Sure. <laughs> okay. Because you were a computer science major up until that point, right? Right. right. And, and so did that, that kind of realization that you wanted to pursue basketball professionally, did that coincide with your changing out of computer science? Yeah, absolutely. You know, computer science, it demands a lot of time. It's a tough major. 
I understand. Yeah, I don't know. Computer science sounds pretty easy, though. <laughs> For sure. I understand why people make so much money when they finish it. Right, right. So it took a lot of time, a lot of commitment. I, I realized I had a – because I didn't play at a high level. I didn't play in college, you know. And, yeah. And I realized I, I needed a lot to learn, so I needed to focus my time on basketball in the last two years of college. So halfway through my junior year, I decided to switch to business. Okay. So that will allow to – because business has more classes. It has more students, so it's easier to pick your schedule around basketball practice. Mm -hmm. Computer science is a mall department, so you don't have as many options. You kind of got to take whatever they have. Right. I'm sure business to some degree kind of gives you like a broader – whether this is better or worse, like a broader range when you kind of come out of college. Um, I know that that doesn't that's not helpful to some people because it's like what do I do with it? But computer science is this kind of very um, narrow narrow field. Um, what was your what was your family's uh, reaction when you when you told them that you were making this kind of career change? Yeah, I think that was the hardest part of I, I've considered making that decision for a while, uh, but the hardest part was getting the courage to tell my family because I come from a family of engineers. My grandpa's an engineer. He wrote a book that universities in Brazil still use it about engineering. Wow. My dad is a pretty big time engineer, and uh, my uncle. He's a physics professor at one of the best universities in Brazil. Uh-huh. So he got a doctorate in Switzerland. And so they're really smart people in, in that area. Mm-hmm. So I, I was really afraid of telling them. And my uncle and my grandpa were, well, I think they were a little disappointed because they know that sport in Brazil, you can't really make a career out of it. Sure. So in their head, they're like, well, are you going to focus all the time in basketball? And then you're going to come back and you're going to get a coaching <laughs> job making 800 bucks a month. Right. Well, good job. <laughs> you're paying 30000 to go to college a year. And that's what you're going to come back with? Yeah. But my dad, surprisingly, was very supportive. You know, he's uh, he's the main reason I got to where I am right now. He supported me from the moment I told him, helped me change my classes, and pretty much volunteered to pay for that fifth year. Because if I changed majors, I couldn't graduate in four. Uh-huh. Because I was already halfway through my junior year. So, yeah, my dad was, was a hero right there. Right. No, that, that certainly takes a, a lot of courage to, kind of, to make that um, change, but that's not surprising from someone who came from another country to study study in America. Those two those two things seem to have a lot of similarities. Um, okay, so can you walk us through the timeline? So so you do your five years at Sonoma State. You end up with a business degree um, from Sonoma State. You have the five years of college, of college basketball. Um, you did a lot of uh, – um, help me out manager duties right. the first three years, but then you kind of stepped into a new role those last two years doing some more like in game stuff, helping scout and those things Where where were you at that point in terms of what, what your next step was? So before my fifth year started, I already knew what I, that I want to work in basketball and I had changed majors. I've gone through all of that. So I was pretty, pretty determined to make that happen. But a lot of people don't know. It's a little hard when you're not a U.S. citizen to get a job in the States, let alone in basketball. Mm hmm. Because of the whole process, you need to get a visa. It ends up costing more for the school or the team you're coaching than mm-hmm. hiring a regular American. Well, what about just staying in America in general? It, I mean, was that on your mind also? Because you're here on a visa for for college. Correct, right. Correct me if I'm wrong. And how long does that like? How long does that last post college? So you got you have one year to work after you graduate from a four year institution. Mm-hmm. So they give you it's called optical optional practical training. Okay. It's OPT. So they they grant you twelve months to work so you uh-huh. can get that experience. So I was gonna use that, 
but I knew it was hard to find a full-time job in basketball right away. So when my fifth year started, I started calling. I went to there's this website it's called HoopDirt.com that they post all the basketball openings mm-hmm. and all the rumors and when stuff is going to open up. So I went there. Is Woj on there dropping Twitter bombs? No, he's not. <laughs> okay, okay. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> so I went in there and then I backtracked to two years ago, two years before that, mm-hmm. uh, and looked all the the graduate assistant positions that were open. Because I thought that would be a, a good career move, you know, I I could get hired as a grad assistant, get my master's paid for, okay, and then pretty much volunteer uh-huh. for another two years, sure, buy me some more time to find a job. <laughs> right. So I start calling a bunch of coaches and connecting with them through the season. So when that job opened at the end of the year, they they already know who I am. Yeah, because it's really hard to get a job in this industry if you just apply for it. They don't know who you are. So there was a few, two coaches that I connected really well. Uh, and I was feeling confident when the, the job opened up, I'll, I'll be one of their main guys. Uh-huh. So in one of the schools, uh, I interviewed really well. I did really good in all the tasks he gave us. So I was feeling pretty confident that I was going to get that job. And then in April, it opened up, and I was talking to the coach. And uh-huh. then he, I was pretty much sad. I was already looking for apartments there. I was excited. It was a job I really wanted in a very promising Division II program. But then he, he gave me the call well, halfway through April saying that they decided to go out another way. Oh, man. <laughs> that's got to be such tough news. And halfway through April, that's like that's probably a couple, that's a couple of weeks before you graduate. Right, so yeah. I'm sure internally you're just like, what the hell? Yeah, you know, it was I was dealing with a bunch of emotions right there. Getting rejected for the job I really wanted. Uh-huh. Not having a kind of plan B and a graduation is coming up and I didn't didn't have anything in mind. Yeah. But I do want to say, I mean, at, at this point, you're looking at serious career moves as you're going through your last year of, of college. And although maybe it didn't directly pay off in this instant, I think just being that proactive about it for anyone who's, if anyone's listening out there still in call that still is in college, seems like kind of the way to go rather than I just need to make it to my degree. Like I, once I get my degree, things all, things will be figured out. It's like, once you get your degree, you're getting a piece of like paper. You're given a piece of paper. There's, there's not people knocking on your door, calling you to like right. get to asking you to work for them. So being that proactive, I feel like one way or another did, did pay off in your end. No, he did. And, and here's the thing that people, you know, I feel like society, parents, peers, they put tons of pressures on us as college students to, to pick a major that is good, that's going to get you a high, like a good job, a solid paying job. Mm-hmm. And then when it gets close to graduation, I think the majority don't have a job lined up for them. You know, <laughs> So they start to, and I see that all the time. Now that I coach in college, I see a lot of my seniors go through that and from other sports as well. They just get graduations coming up and they don't have a plan and they start freaking out. Right. But it, it's okay. You mm-hmm. know, it's. Yeah. It's something normal. It just seems like part of the process, but I, I guess, but I think they do kind of feel like almost um, like a failure to, to some degree because they're, you know, their parents or whoever, or they have, they have this feeling, this expectation that they should be walking out of college with like this $70,000 job, like perfectly lined up. And it's like, unless you're one of these very kind of specific degrees, you know, computer science, I think you have a pretty good shot of, of landing something right out. Engineering, if you come from certain schools, you're going to land something out, land something right out. But you know, it's not, it might not be realistic to expect to walk out with that like perfect job kind of, kind of lined up. No, absolutely. And even those degrees, I mean, I, I know some people that 
they graduated in that field and they they didn't end up getting a job right away. Right. So it's not it's not guaranteed you're gonna be a computer science major. You're gonna come out of college and work at Google. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that that's interesting. And just as a final point, I mean, teaching my experience with teaching is um, it certainly is interesting because it's one of those majors where everything's very kind of um, linear in terms of like you know you're there to be a teacher. So when you come out, you're just going to be a teacher. And there's a lot of teaching jobs that have opened up, so we don't kind of have that broad range of like what the heck am I going to do? But it's always a fascinating topic to to um, listen to other people talk about and to kind of hear about. Um, but getting back to your story, so you get rejected from this grad, you get rejected as a grad assistant um, from a program that you really wanted to get into. It's uh, our timeline is it's late April graduations coming up. Uh, what what happens next? Yeah, so I told you that after you graduate from college, you can get the OPT for mm-hmm. to work for twelve months. But the the catch is once you apply for that, you uh you got ninety days to find a job. Okay. <laughs> so after you graduate, whatever May second third week of May, whatever it was, you got ninety days to find a job, or you gotta go back to your country. So at that point, graduation is coming up. I was rejected from the job I really wanted. I didn't really have anything in mind. Wait, hold up. Can you get any job with this? Or does you it got to be in your area. Oh, it has to be in your area. Right. Field, Whatever you got your degree on. Okay. So I started applying for everything. I went on LinkedIn. I was I would go to LinkedIn every single night and apply for 30, 40 jobs a day. Right. And then got some interviews. But I... You know, I found it really hard. It was really hard for me to interview for something I wasn't passionate about. Okay, because when you're talking about these jobs on LinkedIn, these aren't these aren't basketball jobs. No, it know. was I applied for. It was like customer service at GoDaddy.com. <laughs> I was literally applying for applying for everything. Right, right. And then obviously, when you <laughs> you shoot that many shots, you're gonna get some interviews. Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, but I just I got an interview with Yik Yak with GoDaddy.com, Indeed. Okay. It, those are really good companies, but I just I had a really hard time going right. through the interview process where I didn't. I wasn't really passionate about it. I, mm-hmm. I had an interview with Red Bull. He was a great job, technically mm-hmm. in the sports area, but I just didn't show enough interest, you know. And then I remember in my interview, they asked uh, if I knew how many different cans and how many flavors they have, and I had no idea. <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. I, I love your point though about just getting your kind of application out there, and, and even if it's maybe a job that you're like, okay, I'm not like super interested in this, but I'm just gonna apply just to kind of see what happens. I mean, if nothing else, maybe you get offered the job and you get the experience of the interview, and you kind of have that under under your belt. But um, but yeah, so, so you didn't. So you're interviewing with Red Bull, you're interviewing with LinkedIn, you're interviewing with GoDaddy, um, and how does and how does the basketball kind of play into the, to, to all this? So at that point. Uh... I try to talk to a bunch of new coaches, but like I said, in the basketball in- industry, they're not going to hire you if they don't know you. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, I honestly probably emailed over 400 programs. Oh my gosh. Between Division One, Two, Three, NAI. At that point, I was shooting for anything. Juco. So I don't even know we have 400 basketball collegiate right. programs. No, <laughs> we've got a lot more than that. Okay. But yeah, I. Every level, every league, every school, mm-hmm. I, just, I just wanted a chance, you know? Yeah. And uh, so it, it was a tough time because uh, if I got a job at that point, and uh, if you ask Coach Rich, he's one of my mentors, he would say that at that point I was pretty, I've always been really happy guy, high energy, but at that point I was pretty beat down and kind yeah. of 
figure out that I'll have to go back home. Right. And then Arthur Arthur never ended up landing a job, so he ended up going back to Brazil, <laughs> and he works as a coach for $4 an hour in Brazil. No, I'm just kidding. He, he did get hired, though. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that ended up coming about and who you, and who you got hired by for the basketball program? Right. So uh, at, at that moment, I was leaving my friend's couch. My shout-out to Travis and Sean for taking me to <laughs> And, uh, okay, the, the lights just went out as we're recording this uh, podcast. Um, but yeah, anyway, so you're living on the couch. We have another friend with some experience with that. Shout out Nick Fickera. Um, so you're getting advice from him about living on the couch. Right, because so, I didn't have a job, so I didn't really have a way to pay for rent. Uh-huh. So I was with those guys, and then I, I was working at summer camp at Sonoma State. And our head coach, Fiscaldo, his wife is one of the greatest women's bas- college basketball players of all time. She played at Stanford, a very successful coach. She's always been coaching in Southern California. She just got a job at Cal State East Bay mm-hmm. in Hayward, an other Division II school, and she needed two assistants. So Coach Fiscaldo told his wife about me, told Coach Molly how hard I worked and the, the past five years I spent in his program, so she offered me the opportunity to join her staff as a part-time assistant coach. Wow, that that's an amazing opportunity. I just got to say, the message here is all that time you spent, Arthur, it sounds like working as basketball manager, all those times mopping the floors, those three years you put in, I mean, that all comes in, and, and Fiscaldo's big recommendation to his wife that, hey, this is a guy you want on the program. This is a guy that's going to put in the time, put in the work, and that ends up paying off in a huge part as you get that part-time assistant coach job. Right, absolutely. And it's, you never know when you're when the job where your job's going to come from you know so it's really important to the first impression you cause on people and uh, to work really hard and never close any bridges mm-hmm. because i always thought you'd be either my college advisor rich was one of the, my mentors he helped me a lot so if i had to guess where my job would come from i'll probably guess one of those too it, but it was a uh, coach Fiscaldo who's been blessing in my life as well <laughs> right so, so you think you're gonna go to cal state east bay as as a part-time assistant coach but that's not exactly what played out right right so at that moment you know i was happy i got a job i could stay in the u.s but still it's part-time you know it's sure it's not enough to live and paying rent in the bay area it's very expensive so i started i got to, i moved to here to sign a lease i thought i was going to be there for sure i started working i think it was late august uh, my start date, I think it was August 20 something. I don't remember exactly, but so I signed up for every shift I could uh, work at swimming competitions, volleyball games, <laughs> soccer, uh-huh. whatever I could. So just so I could get more income uh-huh. to, to make up for that. And I was kind of from August to September, it was a little shaky. You know, I, I had to control my finances very well <laughs> to make it, yeah. but, and then in October, uh, funny thing happened. The staff, the coaching staff at the University of San Francisco, left, and Coach Molly got got offered the job. So <laughs> this I, is a D D one program. Yeah, it's a Division one program. So Oof. at Division one, the whole coaching staff is full time. You know, uh huh. So. And I didn't. I wasn't sure if she was going to take me or not. Uh, I sure didn't think I was ready. You know, here I am, <laughs> right out of college. I've been working as a part time D two assistant for two months. So I thought maybe I'll stay here, and then in two or three years, she'll 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 give me an opportunity again. Sure. But then she called me. uh, I think it was like Wednesday, Thursday night, and said, "Hey, I got hired at USF. I'd like to bring you as a director of operations." 
would you like to to come? Uh huh. And uh, I was really excited. You know, since I was since I started playing basketball, I always dreamed of being on a Division One program. I remember at Sonoma when we played Division One schools, my eyes would light up just from stepping on their court. Uh huh. So I was, yeah, of course I took it. And then she was like, well, good. Uh, well, you start tomorrow at 9 a.m. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and this was probably 8, 9 p.m. at night. So it was a pretty quick turnaround. Oh, my gosh. So, just, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that just shows that things happen so so fast. And, and also that's a lot of – Pre- that's a lot of pressure put put on you. Uh, I mean, given given what I know about you and just your personality, I know there was obvious there was no hesitation with taking that job. But uh, having conversations with other people and even myself to an extent, um, I think there's kind of a lot of self talk and a lot of self doubt as you're right out of college. And you're like, hey, I don't really, I don't think I have the experience for this position. Like maybe I should just wait another year or another, you know, two years and then I'll be better fit. And it always seems like there's a better moment kind of somewhere down the line instead of taking it now. But you you just jumped on, you jumped on the job. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just can let that opportunity go by because you never know if it's going to come back. And I actually, one of my, one of the best professors I've ever had, he told me that you don't need to be 100% qualified for a job you applied for. You know, if you meet 60, 75% of the, the requirements, uh-huh. go for it. Give it a shot. Yeah. Because you, you learn a lot as you go. And uh, it was a learning process for me the first year as director of ops here at USF. So I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, <laughs> what did that job uh, entice as basketball, um, as director of basketball operations? Like, so what, you're, what were you in charge of? You're pretty much taking care of the whole admin part of a Division One basketball program. So that includes... Equipment, budgeting, traveling, uh, run, organizing basketball camps. So your job is pretty much make sure that all the coaches got to do is coach and recruit. Mm-hmm. So everything else you take care of. Uniforms, uh, you help with game scheduling and all of that. Setting okay. up practice on the road. All of that is, is, is your job. Okay. So your job is to kind of make things run smoothly. Yeah. And I'm sure if they're not, then, then you, yeah, you get to, you get to hear about. Yeah. I don't think they read that movie my first year. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Yeah. I, I made some mistakes. Sure. I had some funny stories about that too. <laughs> uh-huh. You're doing a lot of the logistics. Is that something that kind of uh, appeals to you or in the context of like a D1 basketball program, at least that, that you liked or. Yeah. So it kind of worked out well because uh, I switched my major to business. So a lot of the stuff I actually learned in college applied to that job. Nice. You know, it's almost like you're running a small organization. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so it was it was really interesting. I, I never thought my business degree would help that much. Uh-huh. But it actually did. No, I love that tie to switching back to like you, to how you switched majors right. and how that all kind of went full circle. That that worked out really nicely. Right. Um. So yeah. So you finish your you finish your uh, first year as basketball director of operations, and obviously things couldn't have gone uh, too, too unsmoothly because what happened the, the next summer? So, yeah, next summer, one of our coaches left. Uh, she she came here to coach for a year. She was in between jobs. Really, really good coach, Coach Linda Lappy. And then she decided she wanted to take a break from coaching after that year. So we had an opening as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly – I did it for a while because it was she left right during recruiting period, so I kind of filled in just so we could have another set of eyes on the road. Uh huh. And uh, but I never expected to stay in that position. You know, it's a it's a Division One assistant coach. Who am I to fill that job? Uh huh. I'm just a guy that lucked out and got a director of ops <laughs> position. 
Yeah, being being humble. How has that experience been as as that role of the assistant coach for I, this past year? So it was good. You know, over the summer, I really liked recruiting. Uh, I found out that being friendly and my personality helps out a lot with the recruiting process because mm-hmm. it was easy for me to connect with coaches, and I made a lot of great friends. And then I also love listening to, to the players, you know, what their, goal, or what their goals are, where they want to take their career, and how I can help them get there. So then at the end of the summer, Coach Molly told me she wanted to keep me as an assistant, and that's the role I, I did this past year, focusing on recruiting, especially internationally because of all the connections I have overseas. Mm-hmm. So I've been I've been traveling a lot this year. It's been a fantastic experience to help her build the, our new team. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Can we hear like the top top three places that you've you've traveled to, top three countries over the past past year? Um, yeah. So my favorite places so far has been Sweden, uh, Hungary. I like Hungary quite a bit. And the third one, it wouldn't be a country, but uh, I've been to Alaska a few times. Okay. And I, I really like Alaska. People there are really nice. You know, they're very welcoming, and uh, I made uh, some great friends out there. Uh huh. So. I feel like it kind of is like a separate country, just because. So, <laughs> yeah, right. It's right. so it's so far out there. No, that's that's awesome. Did you go to Budapest in, in Hungary? I did. Yeah, I went to Budapest. How is that? It's uh, it's busy. It busy. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of tourists. The the city never sleeps. You know, you. I remember I got in super late. It was four or five in the morning. Uh huh. In my hotel, you you kind of had to drive by one of the biggest clubs there, I guess. <laughs> so when I when I drove by in the cab, I saw. There was a lot of people still in the club at five, six in the morning. Oh, five or so, six a.m. Oh yeah. god, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, in in Spain last summer, God, they they're on a completely different time schedule. So I don't know if it's just um, like a European thing or something, but they were we would like when we would quote like go out or whatever, we'd be out till like four a.m. I'd be like, guys, what are we doing? It's four. It's four a.m. Like, yeah, that's just like kind of what we do, which seems like absolute hell. Is that is that what it's like in Brazil? Oh. Yeah, Brazil is a similar way to Europe. You you never really go out before eleven. Oh really? PM, so just something those Americans do. Yeah, I guess you guys like to go to bed pretty early yeah well i'm all for getting my sleep so i support the i support that i Um, do too i do too (laughs) yeah right um yeah well yeah that's such that's it's been an amazing story kind of and and hearing it up up into this point um you've obviously accomplished uh so much i'm sure seven years ago as you came from brazil to imagine yourself now at a division one school university of san francisco serving as the assistant coach going on all these recruiting trips I mean, we're, I'm here at the facility doing the podcast today. Just an absolutely amazing facility. We got to play some hoops um, on the on the court, on the official court, same court Bill Russell played. It's an amazing place. It's an amazing place to be. Is there kind of like a feeling of contentment, or is there a feeling that you kind of want to keep pushing pushing forward? Yeah, no, I I've always been very competitive and very ambitious, I guess, in my own way. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely very. Uh, proud of I guess where I am and very thankful for all, all the opportunities that's been given to me but I'm always trying to get better you know I want to become mm-hmm. a better coach I want to take this pro- help coach Molly take this program to different levels mm-hmm. you know and I think we can we can become a, one of the best teams in division one basketball and certainly in our league uh-huh so that I want to do that and, and kind of be loyal I'm really loyal to her because she's the only one that took a chance on me I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. 
Right. So. Um, yeah. So any listeners out there, if uh, you're flipping through next next winter in the University of San Francisco, the Dons are on. Give a, give them a big a big rooting for. But uh, thank you so much for for coming on, Arthur. It was a, it was a pleasure having you and listening to kind of this fascinating story that you've been through. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me. It's it's always good talking to you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Well, this is the Teacher Resource uh, Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Swasso, and uh, thanks for listening.